Galatians 2, 11 through 16 says, But when Cephas, uh, by the way, that's Peter, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Um, Broken religion is what we've been talking about this week or this couple of months or a couple of weeks. Uh, And broken religion, here you go, Johnny, is very simply, we've said this many times already, and I've done what I'm doing right now many times. Broken religion is forcing someone to carry a weight that God did not intend for you to carry. Congratulations, Travis. Kyle. Broken religion is forcing you to carry a weight that God did not intend for you to carry. Um, For four of you, there's very specific things to think about with that. But I think because of broken religion and what it is, what it does is it breaks, it confuses, and it just brings strangeness to what's happening. Not just to you, but to those around you. And this morning, in the story that we're going to study deeply, it's even more so. It infects. One of the first things I said on week one was that broken religion infects. How many of you this week know someone, directly know someone who's been sick? Raise your hand. Seriously, I know you don't want to raise your hand in church, it's weird, but if you know someone that's been sick this week, raise your hand. Broken religion infects. How many of you, like especially moms, get really angry when someone shows up at school or at church and their child is sick? How many of you guys get really mad? All of you. Look at, like you're ready to raise those hands quick with that one. Why? Because sickness infects. Broken religion infects in a, in a real ugly, ugly way. And this morning, we're going to see how broken religion that was present in Peter infected a whole bunch of people. And, and I want to say this too. A lot of times... We see broken religion as being perpetrated by the evil people in the world. Like the, the, the pastors, the church leaders, the religious people are, that are purveying broken religion. We want to punch them in the face. I want to punch them in the face. But this is Peter. This is Peter. And Peter, if you, if you know your Bible very well, Peter was, Jesus said to him right before Jesus went back to heaven... 
He said, hey, you're Peter. You're the rock that I'm going to build my church upon. So the guy who's the evil one here in this story is the same guy who, a few years before this event took place, Jesus said, you are going to be the leader of my church. That's, that's pretty big. Um, where none of us are uh, free from broken religion. Uh, so the interesting part, the, the thing that I, I want to note here is that this is not a, uh, like this isn't particularly a story that, that's happening. This is Paul making a point, telling a story to make a point. So the story that he tells is 11 through 14, and the point that he makes is verses 15 and 16. So let's walk through this story together here. Uh, Verse 11 and 12 first. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face and he stood condemned. Parenthetically, let me insert that we have an obligation to the gospel to call out broken religion in our communities. Let me say that again as we're like we're a small church where family community is important to us. Let me proclaim this. We have... We have an obligation to God and to the gospel to call, call out broken religion when it is among in our community. And, and let me say also further that that doesn't mean we get to go on some sort of quest to rid the world of the tyranny of broken religion. Like this is our community. Peter and Paul were in a community and God had given them relationship with one another. And they had invitation to speak hard truth into one another. That's what's happening here in the story. So make no mistake, you are called to to do that. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Uh, And as we walk through this too, notice the the strength of the language of Paul here. He's opposing him. He is saying that he stands condemned. Verse 12, For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, and when they came back, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. little backstory needed here. So this is uh, certain men that came from James. James is uh, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which is kind of like the, the Mecca, the, where, where everything kind of flows from. And a lot of the theology of the day, a lot of the understanding, the missiology of the day comes from the church in Jerusalem, which is led by James. So James sends people to this region of Galatia because there's this big turmoil stuff going on. You guys remember from past weeks that there's people called the Judaizers who were saying, yes, Christ is the one you need to place your faith in, but we also need to do these things in order to be saved and to have relationship with God. And Paul was saying, no, that's not true. So what James does, and the church in Jerusalem, and those leaders do, they send people, they send Jewish leaders, smart, intelligent guys who understand the gospel to Galatia to speak to this truth. So before they do that, Peter is hanging out with the Gentiles. He is, he is eating with them, eating things that most hardcore Jewish people would say, you are not allowed to eat, which is very sad, by the way. Can I just say that bacon tastes good? And pork chops taste good. Um, so Peter is eating those things and eating those things in such a way that he's not supposed to as a Jewish guy. 
but he understands the gospel that God, that Christ has come to take that stuff away so that we can have relationship with God through faith in Christ alone, period. So Peter is, is, is doing this stuff. And then what happens is these religious leaders come, these Jewish guys come, and Peter says, uh-oh, I need, I need to, to stop doing this because now these guys who might not approve are here. This is uh, a John Hughes movie. You guys know who John Hughes is? Uh, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 80s classics. This is a John Hughes movie. This is Breakfast Club. This is the, the nerd and the jock and the pretty girl and the, the burnout guy. They're all together hanging out, having fun, enjoying themselves, like building a relationship with each other. And then, just like Simple Mind saying, don't forget about me. This is, and, and so like, I'm okay to connect with you so long as there's nobody whose opinion I seek and value more than yours is around. As soon as that person comes into my life whose opinion I value more than yours, I'm going to disavow you and act like I don't know you. And it's like, go back to high school days and you guys probably knew people who were like that chameleon who did what they wanted to do and, and like if, if somebody else was around, they'd act like they don't know you and all those things. That, that, that's the truth of what's happening here and it's, it's a, an affront to the gospel and it's broken religion and it infects deeply and greatly. This is Peter and Paul engaging in the, uh, a John Hughes movie. He is afraid of man. He is filled with hypocrisy. Like, do you, does hypocrisy make you guys angry? When you, when you see hypocrisy, does it make you angry? Yes, it does. That is the, the truth of what's happening. And more than that, there's legalism that's present. Um, but there's hope here. God can use you to do great things regardless of who you are, what you've done, regardless of how you've injured the gospel. I want to say it again. I said it a minute ago. This is Peter. This is Peter. Peter is really important in the history of the church. One of the probably, if, if there's a, a Mount Rushmore of important guys in the Bible, he's on it. And this is Peter who's purveying this broken religion, who is afraid of people and doing things to hurt people because he's afraid of other people. This is Peter who is so intensely worried about his power and authority that he abandons what he knows to be the truth of the gospel in order to sacrifice at the, the altar of his reputation. And that's like at the heart of it, that's, that's broken religion. That's, that's a weight that God does not intend for Peter to carry that Peter is carrying. But the beautiful, hope-filled news of all of this is this is Peter. He's going to write two books of the Bible that are really important. He's going to preach sermons that bring literally thousands of people. Can you imagine Peter preaching, one guy preaching, and literally thousands of people come to the gospel in a moment. This is Peter, the same guy. Wherever you think you are, whatever you think you've done, whoever has broken you, whoever has pervaded broken religion to you, understand and know that we are all susceptible to that. Every one of us. And take courage, take hope that your fear of man, your hypocrisy, their hypocrisy, their fear of man can be overcome by the beauty of the gospel. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Broken religion infects. Just like 
we're so frustrated when somebody brings their sick kid to school or to daycare or to church and, in, and we're forced to interact in a, in a small room without a lot of wet wipes and, and like, like it, it's, you're, you're, you're being like, that's silly. That's funny. You're, you're giggling, but that's broken religion. We've got to know that this is Peter, who is the height of the church, infecting Barnabas, who, who was like Paul's, like we see Paul and Barnabas, but it's, it's Paul and Barnabas. They're like on the same level. And, and Barnabas is infected, led astray by Peter's broken religion. None of us are above broken religion. None of us are immune to broken religion. And none of us are immune to being affected and infected by broken religion. Like, we, we might be some really godly, holy, wonderful people. But this is Peter and Barnabas who are now broken by broken religion. Where none of us are immune from this. Verse 14. But when... I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's the deal. I just passed out four weights. Who's not carrying a weight? Who hasn't? Like me. I'm not. I'm, the, I'm passing them out for people to carry. And you know what? This is week four. Do you know how many weights I've carried throughout this whole series, these four weeks? Zero. This is what's happening. I'm going to give it to Travis. I'm going to give it to Johnny. And others of you who I've given them to. This is, this is the gospel. This is what Peter is doing here. This is the broken religion. This is what Peter is doing. He's passing out stuff that he's not willing to carry himself. That's religion is is broken here. And more than that, look at, look at what he says in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel. Broken religion is out of step with the gospel. It takes us there. Our actions don't line up with the truth of the gospel. Let me say this too. Legalism and fear of man and hypocrisy is swift. It's quick. Here's the other thing. Let me be honest with you. If some of my heroes of the faith would walk into this room and, and, and be a part of this service, it changes my demeanor completely. There's two guys in particular, John Ryan, Rex Alexander. If they walked into this room in the middle of this sermon, I'd be like, oh, crap, have I done I, what? And, and I'm, I'm changed. It's a, it's a really big deal to me. Do you know Why? Because I'm afraid of them. Not in like they're going to hurt me sort of way, but like I so value their opinion that I'm going to sacrifice on the altar of their opinion. And the, the truth is, there's likely people who, who are that way for you. Like it's going to change. If they challenge your understanding of, of the gospel or religion, wait a second. This is, this is what's happening in the story. And again, Paul is tell, illustrating a story. This is, hey, remember this one time when this happened? Here's, something, here's, a, here's a point that I can make about the gospel about that story. This is the Galatians 2, 11 through 16 is, is what that is. But he's out of step with the gospel. 
legalism is swift. And what I meant to say with, you know, if, if Rex or John came in this room, it would be quick that I would want to do this. But gospel change is really slow. Has anybody been frustrated by, with the speed of gospel change in their own heart? Yes, me, big time. Because, like, even... I'm in the middle of preaching this, this series, Broken Religion. I'm, I'm, like, my mind, idle moments from my brain are spent thinking of how broken religion can enter my life, how broken religion has infected my life, how broken religion has infected the lives of those around me, the people that I love, and I'm thinking about that. I'm also thinking about the gospel all the time. But let me read Facebook for 30 minutes or for 30 seconds, and, like, I'm swiftly going straight to broken religion. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And like I'm typing messages and deleting them and then typing messages and deleting them and typing messages and deleting them. By the way, your delete key is a really valuable key right now. Um, and yeah, I'll say that and stop talking about that. Um, but, but legalism is swift. It attacks us swiftly and gets into our brain quickly, but gospel change is really, really slow. But it's an important idea that we have to put in the front of our brains. Um, I want to take just a minute. I've written, I feel like this is a good point in the message for us to stop and consider and think and repent because the likelihood is that there's something that we have in us. And let me, let me just say this, by the way. If there's not something in your brain, in your heart, that you feel like God is pressing on you, that you need to repent from, then you're probably not thinking clearly. Um, so I want to give us two things. We've already spent some time in quiet prayer today. We're going to do it again. Um, you're at church. Get over it. Um, but I, I want I've, I've written two prayers for us to say in our brains quietly to ourselves, quietly to God. And maybe there's other things that these things will, will get you to think of. Here they are. God, forgive us where we care more about how we are perceived by people than we care about living in step with the gospel. I promise that there are areas in your life where you care more about people's perception of you than you do about the gospel. And we're liars and broken religion preachers if we're not ready to admit that to ourselves. But we have to understand and we have to have the hope that broken religion is swift and it infects and the gospel is slow. The second thing is God forgive us when we say one thing and act like another. So let's take a minute, consider, pray, think about these two statements, and maybe God will bring something else in your brain. God, forgive me where I care more about how I'm perceived than I care about living in step with your gospel. Lord, show me Convict me, shine a light on the dark places that I hide from myself and I hide from these people. How I do that, Father. Shine a light there, God.
and allow me to live in your light and in your grace. You are good and you are holy. In Christ's name, amen. So the last bit here, we're going to spend uh, a, a good chunk of time doing some study here in these last two verses. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Verse 16 is, is the punchline. He's told all of this, and I've said everything that I've said up until this moment to proclaim verse 16 to you, to us. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Don't be confused. Very simple language. You are not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. I love Paul's writing style. He's so wonderfully redundant. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He says the same thing three different times. Do you know why? I think you do. Because I've told you many times. We're not the sharpest knives in the drawer when it comes to the gospel. But I want to focus on, on three things here. Yet we know that a person is not justified. Justified is, uh, is an important word. Uh, and it's, it's really this, this sort of idea that, that we are in right standing relationship with God. Do you know, do we operate in this world understanding that we were intended to flourish in beautiful, perfect relationship with God and with man? Like, do we operate in this world thinking that? Do you know that's why what's happening in our world is so frustrating to us? Because this is not how it's supposed to be. It's not. And so what we do is we strive and we get the, the engine moving in one direction and then that doesn't work. And then we, we change everything up and, and get the engine moving in a different direction and that doesn't work. We're intended to be in beautiful, undefiled, pure relationship with God and with other people. That's what, where righteousness takes us, is to that place. How do we get there? What does Paul say we, how we get there? It is our role, our, the thing that we do is faith. But I think, I don't think, I know that we misunderstand faith. This week, I got a great picture of what faith really is. Um, Hannah Grace, my daughter, turned 16 last week, and she got her driver's license. Um, and up until that point, uh, for a year, when she turned 15, she had a permit. She could drive, but the only way that she could drive was with me or Jen sitting next to her in the front seat. Let me take you into some of those things. We're driving to her dance practice, and dance practice is about a 15-minute drive. And we get on the highway, and she's got to go uh, we go airport road to, to 170 to 70 to Lindbergh, right? You guys picture that. So there's lane changes need to happen there. And if you've driven by 70, about one set between 170 and Lindbergh, it's packed at like 5, 5.30, o'clock. And so it's, we're trying to teach her. We don't want to hide from this, so we're going to teach her these things. So what we're saying, I'm sitting next to her saying, okay, babe, 
There's a lot of cars on your left. You're going to have to merge. So you're going to have to get your speed up, but be in control so you can stop if you need to stop. And, okay, looks like after this red van, you're going to have a good spot, good room you can get over. Let's get over there. Right? You following that? And then, hey, by the way, 70's coming up, babe. You're going to need to get over in that right-hand lane. You're going to have to merge. And as you get on this, this exit ramp, you're going to have to begin to, to get your speed up, but, but not too much. And so I'm, I'm coaching her all along the way. And Lindbergh's coming up in, in half a mile, babe. You're going to have to make sure you're in the right lane. You can get over there simply. This is a, a constant coaching for her, always in her ear. But this week, this happened. Hit that video. It was short and simple, but it, like, I hope you can see, this is, this is the picture of faith. Like, I'm not there anymore. I'm not sitting, I'm not in the seat next to her. Every single time in her life that she got into a car to drive, I was in a front seat or Jim was in a front seat, and there was this control, this protection, this participation from Jan and I in the middle of that. In this moment, for the first time ever, I watch her drive away with no one there. There is an element to faith, not an element, there is a, 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 a preponderance of what's present in faith that, Christ, that Paul is talking about here, That's surrender. I'm completely surrendered to whatever Hannah Grace does as she's driving away. I have absolutely no control. And I believe that that is the reason or or a reason why we have so much trouble with it. And why we're so easy and willing to jump back into broken religion. Because we've got control. We're there sitting next to her, to her saying, you know what, Come right up here in just a second, you're going to get off, you're gonna have to get in this right lane. Wait, you see that red van? When that red van passes, it's just going to be clear. Get over there. And so that's how we deal with our religion. And that's how we deal with your religion and your religion and your religion. That's how we deal with it. These are the things you're going to have to do in order to, to be right. But what Paul is teaching to us is there's faith, there's surrender. Just relax. It's over. It's done. Jesus has done it all, every bit of it. That's faith. But there's more here. Um, and this is, I've, I've read this passage and studied this passage many times, but never have seen this until this week. This word, justified. Let's, let's read verse 16 again, and we're going to center on the word justified. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. That's surrender and trust in Jesus Christ. But we also believe that in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified in Christ Jesus, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There are two words that we translate in our English language as justified. 
One of them is a simple adjective. This shirt is gray. That shirt is red. Those jeans are blue. That is, it's a simple adjective showing this is what it is and this is what it's not. Right? The ball is round. The, the ball is red. Simple adjective. That's one way that justified appears in Scripture. That's not this one. This one is to render justified. And render means to cause to be. This word, when, it's, when it says, you will not be justified by works of the law, you will not be rendered justified by works of the law. You will not be caused to be justified by works of the law. You will be justified. You will be caused to be right. Let me say that again. You will be caused to be right because of Jesus. You will be caused to be right because of Jesus. In a world where we're desperately trying to gain rightness, you will be caused to be right by Jesus. There's nothing else that can cause you to be right. Silly, goofy, worthless, not worthless, but silly illustration time. This glass is, the, the liquid in this glass is what? Describe this, the liquid in this glass. Clear. Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. It's clear. All right? What could this water do to itself to become red? Okay. What could be done to this water to make it red? Here's a hint. I got really strict instructions, by the way. Rick, I'm not going to be able to get red food coloring out of your clothes. So you better be, like, you better, Rick. So watch Jen squirm. Watch me go back to, yeah, I got, never fear, I've got a napkin. I've got a napkin. But by the way, this, this goofiness, this silliness is, uh, is speaking profoundly. You see that napkin? What's on it? What made that be red? Did I do too much? Probably did. But look at it. Watch it happen. You guys watching it happen? No. Need my napkin again. Now, what's, what's the story with this water? Describe it. It's red. Why is it red? What did the water do to get red? Like, it's so easy to see this, right? So easy to see and understand that this glass of water is now red because of something that happened to it. Not because of something that it did. But it's so hard for us to see that we're right. We're made right. We're caused to be right because of Jesus. There's nothing else that causes us to be right. And again, remember, you and I are made, created, and we crave this 
need to be right. And not in like, I'm right, you're wrong sort of way. In a right, like we're made to be in perfect, undefiled, pure, unchanged, unaffected, uninfected relationship with God. And the only way to do that, we don't have any ability of any kind to in ourselves get justification. The only way to be right is Jesus. So, with the new understanding of this word, Cooper, fire that, that next slide up there. With a new understanding of this word, to be justified, uh, this is the, the new translation of Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not caused to be righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be caused to be righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be caused to be righteous. By works of the law, by stuff that you do, you will not be caused to be right. It's Christ alone. This is the gospel. Now, I want to stop and I want to pray. I read Psalm 29.2 this morning. I'm reading through the Psalms. Psalm 29. It's January 29th. I read Psalm 29 this morning. Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Here's, here's the fact. When we encounter a beautiful truth about who God is and who his son Jesus is and what he has done for us, the single best thing that we can do is worship him in that moment. Ascribe to him the glory that's due his name. We've just seen that we have perfection at our fingertips because of what Jesus has done. Ascribe to him that. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. We very intentionally have an extended response time here so that we can interact with the truths that God has given to us. Now, the beautiful part is I'm going to stop talking. We're going to get a chance to do what Psalm 29 tells us to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your perfect justification. God, thank you that you are a redeeming God who redeemed a man like Peter and restored a man like Peter to proclaim your truth, even though he was a broken religion seller, you redeemed him. God, convict us right now where we have held grudges against people who have sold us broken religion. And God, give us an opportunity, a, a chance to speak the gospel into those relationships and into those situations. God, give us a chance before that to see in our own hearts our broken religion, to see in our own hearts our walking out of step with the gospel. And Lord, show us the beauty of your gospel, please, Lord. Show it to me, Father. And God, maybe I may I be bold enough to ask for your gospel to happen more quickly in my own heart. Please, God. And Lord, I rest now in your making me, causing me to be righteous.
And as a result, God, I ascribe to you the glory that's due to your name. And I worship you in the splendor of your holiness. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.